Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, everyone, wherever you are. Thank you for joining us uh, today for this uh, uh, easy laid-back discussion on the state of big data for development in Africa. My name is Mushiri Nyaga. I'm the executive director at the Local Development Research Institute. And I am joined by the amazing, multi-talented Leonida Mutoku. Applause goes here. She's a research and strategy lead, uh, specializing in AI and big data. Um, uh, but she's also the CEO of uh, IntelliPro, a company that uh, surfaces amazing insights from the data that is held by, by companies. Um, and she, they do it in a way that's accessible to SMEs, which I think is really, really great. And I said she's multi-talented. She's also the co-founder of Cotidian. Um, a new uh, research outfit that's going to be looking at uh, AI for, I mean, research for AI, on AI, uh, which I think makes them one of the very, very few on the continent. So, Leo, karibu sana. Thank you so much for that introduction, Mushiri. Yeah, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, you know, I'm your hype man, you know, I, I, I do this, this is, this is my, this is my I f- thing. I feel more accomplished than I actually am. <laughs> Don't worry, there'll be an invoice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so uh, I, th- I think it's uh, a good place to start uh, today, talking a little bit about um, the, the, the study that you've been doing, um, looking at uh, big data for development in Africa. Um, on this wintry afternoon in Nairobi, uh, you know, it, it, it brings some warmth to hear that there's progress in parts of the continent when it comes to uh, big data. So maybe we could start off there. Um, how did this get started? Uh, there's now a report out. Uh, take us through a little bit about about it. Sure. Um, so I think over the co- probably just to introduce the agenda for today's conversation, mainly be talking about what our research motivation was. Of course, we are talking about big data, so we have to describe what it actually, and define what it means, because um, different quarters view big data differently. Um, I definitely want to touch base on what the African data revolution means, um, what are the emerging uh, ecosystem actors we're seeing in in big data. Uh, How do we capacitate um, the continent in order to to create opportunities for big data for sustainable development? And finally, what are those enabling environments and partnerships required um, to ensure that uh, big data is available to support development uh, activities? And given that um, the times we are in right now, it wouldn't make sense to have this conversation without touching, of course, on the impacts of big data in uh, COVID-19 pandemic response and recovery measures. So that is an overview of what today's conversation will look like. And Mushiri, of course, will be prodding me to to think deeper about uh, what we surfaced with this research. So just to get started, um, LDRI, the Local Development Research Institute, is part of a wider uh, big data network called the Big Data for Development Network, which um, actually is a collaboration of Global South actors, including um, AIMS, the African Institute of Mathematical Studies in Africa, who are our other partners. We have uh, Learn Asia and CIS, from the Asian continent, as well as pay from Latin America. And this network is um, funded by IDRC, the Canadian Research Development uh, Center. And so a lot of our work had synergies. And one of the things we wanted to understand as the Africa hub of the big data network was, where are we when we talk about uh, big data? its availability, its uses, but also um, having reviewed this uh, status of big data here, how can we start harnessing it for um, supporting development initiatives? And so um, it, it's good to take a step back before you know you plan, you chart your, your map forward on how big data can be used for um, sustainable development. So um, as part of us studying uh, the current landscape for big data in Africa, one, uh, we were looking at four key things. 
the first being the ecosystem, who are the players, who are producing this big data, um, what infrastructure is being uh, is being used to support uh, big data activities. So here we're talking about technologies and other capacities that exist on the continent to support this work. When you talk about big data for development, uh, it's it's playing in a specific contextual environment. So what, what is that environment? What is the context? What is the social context, the legal context, the economic context through which a big data is playing a role? And finally, um, how do then this ecosystem of actors come together to support sustainable development using this specific resource called big data? MMU is very, very different from the context and the resources and the ecosystem that you'd find, say, in Europe mm -hmm. um, or, or the US. Yeah. yeah. And, and definitely, I'm thinking about, uh, and also, when we say big data for development, it's important to understand why uh, we think that uh, big data itself can be harnessed to support uh, development outcomes. So when we look at um, the current challenges that we have um, as a continent um, uh, that we are trying to solve, be it through our SDG priorities or other um, national development priorities, one of the things that um, governments need to do is, of course, identify who is under-resourced or under-supported uh, under by the existing national framework. Um, how do we allocate resources to them? How do we forecast? How do we finance for this development? And given that the world is moving towards the fourth industrial revolution, one of the key tenants of that these new technologies is really um, data. And when we talk about data, like uh, we are not just talking about your ones and your twos. Now we are talking about an explosion of um, massive amounts of data. And I'm going ahead of myself, so probably jumping into then um, just defining then what are we calling big data? Yeah, because we'll, we'll, I mean, chances are a lot of people have different definitions for big data. Mm -hmm. Anything that can fit on a very, very large flash drive, <laughs> uh, <laughs> whatever can fill up a few hard drives. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, so I, I see the three Vs uh, of, of, of big data, so obviously I see size is one of them, but uh, clearly there is more. Yeah, and uh, actually this was a study that we found has been done uh, previously. Uh, someone went through lots of research publications trying to understand how various uh, communities of researchers um, understand the word big data, but really it all boiled down to three things. The size of the data sets which one of the Vs is volume. So mm -hmm. how big is the data set? So typically we are talking about pentabytes of data and here there's a new zettabytes of data. Um, a lot of us may not be able to imagine how much data that is. I'm just coming to groups with gigabytes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then there's the complexity of the data sets. So uh, statistics mainly looked at numbers, aggregates, um, sampling, but when you start thinking about big data, it's quite complex, it's unstructured. Um, this conversation is a data point. Um, audio streams, you know, video, images, um, text, we're moving away just from the ones and the twos when we start talking about big data. And they all have to be analyzed in one way or another in order mm -hmm. to find relevant insights. And so the technologies required to manipulate these massive data sets that are very complex in nature um, have to be specialized. And this was not something that could be done a few years ago. In fact, the word big data was only coined maybe just in 2005. Yeah. Although, of course, over time, we've realized that big data is used um, in several ways. It was used to take the first man to space. So it's been in existence for a while, but in practice and as a term to, for development, that's relatively new. So clearly these data sets are being produced at a very rapid you know, pace, like every second someone is tweeting, someone is you know, streaming on YouTube or TikTok, and that's where the velocity part of big data is. And then the fact that it's complex, structured and structured, it's a variety of sources. So it's mm -hmm. not just like, you know, a survey or a census. 
there's really different sources for big data. Yeah, so like on 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 mobile phone networks, you know, our, our operators have probably one of the most attractive sources of of big data. Uh, huge amounts in terms of volume, yeah. velocity is extremely fast. Twenty three plus million people daily sending text messages, making phone calls. Um, you know, and then that coupled with base station data, where are they? What base station are they now being hired off to? Uh, that all of that just in a single place that provides some amazing insights. I imagine for the people sitting there, they get to see and know a lot about us. Definitely. In fact, um, I think right now the uh, mobile network operators, financial institutions. I mean, think of all your card transactions all um, your financial records like that are being generated every second those have been like the most widely known uh, data sets for big data uh, but uh, as part of our research we categorized these um, sources of data in three different ways the first one being public and open data sets mm -hmm. so these ones typically generated by governments using taxpayer money mm. um, so think about the census that we just had here in Kenya last year a lot of data was generated from that may not be very big but um, if you continue manipulating it you can create an even larger data source um, other administrative data on agriculture etc uh, satellite imagery um, satellites typically are owned by governments mm. and um, they take like millions of pictures per second so if that has to be analyzed you can imagine that's already a big data set and there are open data sets being um, made available for public use from some of these satellites um, and on the private side we've talked about the mobile records uh, health data um, a lot of hospitals are digitizing so uh, all your records are in an electro electronic format or that's the expectation in the near future yeah. and then of course we have now sensors drones um, all sorts of things connected to the internet trying to collect all sorts of data and all sorts of communication points yeah and some of that iot in the internet of things yeah you know, begins to come into play i suppose on the private sector side when yeah. Although, of course, some of these I imagine are also in the public space, right? Yeah. And uh, when you start thinking about smart cities, um, they'll largely be generating a lot of data to keep them uh, going. Mm. And so one of the visions, for instance, for Konza Techno City and the Blue African, uh, the blueprint for African smart cities that was done in Rwanda is also um, looks at IoT as one of a very valuable data to keep these cities running yeah. and then of course we have your i mean the data you and i um generally interact with every day on social media when you're gossiping when you're trying to learn what's going on with the country when we're giving uh, <laughs> informed opinions on very technical things that exactly we might actually know something about yeah um so yeah that, i mean we are really generating data that someone somewhere in some backspace is looking at and hopefully can provide valuable um inputs for development activities mm, well, this is interesting i have a uh, probably uh, one of my earliest memories, I think, of, of, of open data, I think, is uh, the Twitter firehose. Mm -hmm. You know, back then when you could actually plug in and get data coming out of uh, of Twitter with all these people's conversations. And, uh, probably very interesting stuff came out in those early days before they turned the hose off. <laughs> it's available you just have to pay for your access and as you're paying of course what you're doing on it is closely monitored and yeah. we'll probably discuss this later on in the conversation the abuse or the misuse of data that ideally could uh, should be used for um you know advancing uh, humanity so um before we get to the african big data ecosystem we have to think about so why big data and what does that mean for us so the um there's this concept called the african data revolution and really um it's looking at how um africa is forward thinking and planning to um apply data to support its development agenda uh, when we think about the history of uh, technologies in development, um, 
we've evolved in the in the early 2000s to late 2000s we were talking about ictds you know um as a new field of study how do we apply ict in development, in development. and then in uh mid 2010s early 2010s to mid 2010s we had what you call the mobile for development um mobile phones were becoming very widespread adoption was increasing and everyone was like mm-hmm. okay then how can we harness the mobile phone to you know support development and now here we are at a stage which we're calling the fourth industrial revolution um in many quarters and it's largely driven by data mm-hmm. and uh the the thing is for it to be an african data revolution this data has to be localized localized in terms of application context representation and usage so this are things we'll all unpack as we as we move yeah. along yeah representation usually catches my attention <laughs> because not everybody makes their way into some of the most sophisticated data sets uh, yeah. because of access to infrastructure equipment etc mm-hmm. um yeah so the the african data revolution uh, must be localized <laughs> the same with the revolution will be televised <laughs> be tele- no, but it will be live streamed um, oh yeah <laughs> that's uh, so a new take on these things yeah yeah so i think government has a big part of that ecosystem right mm-hmm. uh, you know especially in in, in africa te- governments tend to be the ones that have the kinds of resources to put in place the really expensive infrastructure at scale um which the vast majority of actors you know outside of maybe one or two academic institutions and certain big multinationals um and telcos i mean most in your nets wouldn't have the the the, the, the financial muscle the capital mm-hmm. to put that together um what ha- what are you seeing around the implementers of, of i mean what are you seeing around governments being implementers of big data for development kind of projects yeah so um when we talk about development really we are talking about how um you know you are applying you know different techniques and approaches to improve human lives and the people who are tasked with big development projects who plan for how taxpayer money is going to be um channeled towards development really is government so it's quite difficult for um private actors and non-state actors to support development if they're not collaborating with government and so from our um mapping of the different use cases that we saw of big data um currently on the continent one thing that became very clear for us of course is government plays two key roles at the moment they could be playing larger roles but these were the two key roles that we saw um imagine the first being that they of course are the implementers of big data they as mushiri saying you have they have the muscle to apply these technologies at scale to impact all citizens within their jurisdiction and fine and of course the big data projects have to be aligned with the development goals they've set for the countries and secondly um they are funders of the big data infrastructure um so the electricity that's required um access to internet it's this are government installed initiatives but um one thing maybe that i forgot is also they are producers of big data in their own right um through the national surveys through the biometric systems that they've used to capture um citizens identities and you know um information that is big data yeah, which includes all the video streams that they are um putting in place for surveillance exactly and and i mean i think uh, these governments have been shifting towards uh, digital um identification systems the biometric systems and that's massive data that's being collected about a specific individual like the data points have moved beyond just a bus date and your social security number now they have you know your fingerprints they have um your mobile phone they have your place of residence i mean in western countries of course this is the norm but uh i think the digital systems have given african countries um a lot more um what is it called opportunity and capacity to collect way more about individual citizens yeah and, and chances are the rate we're going we're going to leapfrog 
um, you know, into the into the current uh, state, you know, and be competing with developed countries on some of these things mm-hmm. without having had to go through the meandering route that they have taken so far. Oh yeah, of course. And well, we are spending money to purchase these technologies from other countries anyway. Yeah, some countries that worry. <laughs> that worry that worry about development partners across Africa. Um, yeah, but before we go into the, the private sector companies that worry everyone, uh, let's talk about this other private sector, you know, uh, component that's uh, part of the Africa data ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are big multinational organizations that are represented in that space. Definitely. Uh, and of course, the emerging indigenous companies as well. Yeah. Um, what, what's, what, what are you finding around um, private sector actors? So uh, private sector actors, um, especially when you start thinking about traditional um, economic sectors such as finance and telecommunications, um, they, for the longest time, have been collecting a lot of data. Although now as uh, more companies becoming digital and digitized, uh, they're also creating a lot of data sets to keep their businesses running. And so... Uh, private sector really are becoming almost central producers of the big data that could potentially be harnessed for development. And because they have found themselves in this situation, they have had to rapidly evolve and build the capacity to uh, manipulate this data. So when you think of who has the skill set to manipulate big data, most of them are found in private sector just because of it was a need that arose from the kind of work these companies have been doing for ages. And so they've invested in their own talent. Um, and so that's where the innovation in technologies to manipulate big data is, um, of course, being seen. And definitely, um, uh, they are data producers in their own right, and they have the talent. The problem is that, uh, the more we studied um, this ecosystem, the more um, some non-African actors as uh, the multinationals have been seen to play a huge role in the you know, production and uh, manipulation of data on Africa and about Africa. So here we're talking about Facebook, Google, IBM, mm-hmm. the big fours. And um, those companies are massive players. Yeah. Uh, and we'll see that they are also they also have a heavy hand in building um, African capacity for big data, just because um, they are the ones who've been supporting work in that space. Yeah, I suppose um, you know, despite the fact that sometimes you know we get a little nervous about you know um, how they're using African African capacity, um, you know, beside the questions of whether they're using African capacity, I think the. The, the scenario that we've been in where there's a thin uh, amount of human resource for for this has meant that uh, the private sector started to swallow up, you know, gobble up all the tech uh, talent around around AI and big data, mm-hmm. um, leaving the, the public sector really a, a mostly a net mm-hmm. consumer of, um, of consulting from the private sector or from development partners. Yeah. I imagine that as we continue to build capacity and expand the talent pool, uh, that the velocity of movement um, from uh, you know public sector to private sector in terms of the skills, you know mm-hmm. that that'll slow down enough, you know, for the government governments African governments to retain talent a little longer than they have been managing to do. I think they have to do a um, very targeted investment to build their own capacity. I mean, this is something uh, we can talk about um, moving forward. But I just wanted to highlight that. Academia is trying to catch up. Um, uh, big data manipulation, um, the skills, data science, artificial intelligence, those are highly specialized skills that um, traditionally were not being taught um, at, a, let's say, at an undergraduate or graduate mm-hmm. level by universities. Typically, it was PhDs pursuing that and biophysicists and yeah. what have you. Um, but we are seeing more um, academic institutions investing in developing curricula and building uh, data, new data science and data manipulation capacity um, across the continent. So, and that really is the role we are seeing them playing in this ecosystem. Um, 
there are international organizations who have played such a huge role in one pushing government to you know explore these um, new technologies um, but we see they mainly fund um, those initial projects you know mm. those projects that don't have an immediate ROI yeah uh, whether it's like a health uh, records projects that's supposed to you know generate big data to support health interventions or it's in uh, some energy project like we are seeing the IOs the world banks uh, you know the multilateral partners funding these projects mm -hmm. the problem is that uh, the funding is not indefinite and at some point government has to take up the mantle and continue running this project so that is one of the big challenges we've been seeing in terms of sustainability of big data projects um, the whole funding scenario um, yes there are seed funders in form mm -hmm. of IOs but there's a gap somewhere in terms of keeping them sustainable. Yeah, I imagine part of it is because they are designed, the projects are designed uh, by international organizations that have deep pockets based on the assumptions around what, what kind of resources can be mobilized post-project to, mm -hmm. to run these things. Mm -hmm. But the moment they are out, uh, the project becomes a government project. Mm -hmm. um, it now has to compete for resources with, with other things. Yeah. Um, you know, social safety net programs, you know, which have an immediate life and death impact mm -hmm. on, 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 on communities. You have um, healthcare mm -hmm. access, where you have problems with coverage of doctor to nurses, mm -hmm. I mean, doctor to patient, nurse to patient, mm -hmm. uh, big gaps there that governments are trying to close. Uh, and then now suddenly there's a, an AI project that's uh, going to require not just acquisition, but maintenance of this high performance computing infrastructure and highly paid AI, big data engineers. And and, and the, the outcomes might only be seen a few years down the line. They, they're yeah. not, they might not be immediate. Yeah. So the ROI sometimes isn't um, that visible, um, except if you are looking in the long term. Yeah. Yeah, but um, one, question that arose for us and it's a point for discussion is what then is the role of civil society and citizens because um, they have not been uh, visible in the big data for development conversation but ultimately especially the citizens are the ultimate beneficiaries so then what role should citizens play in order to maintain this big data for development environment yeah. and ecosystem uh, beyond just being subjects of study. <laughs> no, what does that wish to say? That uh, you might be at the table, but uh, <laughs> you might be the breakfast. Exactly. <laughs> and I think that's what's been happening. Yeah. Um, we, we provide the data, but what we don't know is that we're the livestock, we're the, we're the commodity that is actually being mm -hmm. uh, you know, monetized outside yeah. there. Yeah. Um, so, the, yeah, I think there's definitely a more important role um, for civil society and citizens beyond being you know the livestock or, or the breakfast yeah. at the table and that, you know bring us to the table as as uh, as partners and um and not and not as a as a, a, what is what do you call targets for extraction yeah, yeah the subjects of 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 discussion and so ideally here the uh, civil society and citizens have a huge advocacy role to play to ensure that um, they are well represented in these initiatives, that um, no one is being left behind, which is one of the big um, ambitions of the Sustainable Development Goals. Yeah. Mm, absolutely. So, um, now that we've identified who are the players and what data they're using. Next thing is, um, are we ready for this big data for development? And, and so um, how do we then capacitate the continent for to harness this big data to support development outcomes? And we look at it in three different ways. Um, education, case where we're talking about um, universities actually um, supporting in building new talent for big data. Yeah, running actual big data and AI programs. Exactly. Specific AI. Yeah. Because I think a lot of what's been happening in education has been AI and big data adjacent. Mm -hmm. So a lot of your traditional computer, computer science, science mm -hmm. 
you know, a kind of stuff, and maybe actuarial, uh, you know, the people who did math and did double math. <laughs> I, I know a few people who did that. One math was not enough. <laughs> I don't understand it. Yeah. Uh, so those are adjacent, right? Uh, but yeah. the number of specific AI-specific courses, you know, big data-specific courses, that's really where the growth area um, is, right? Mm-hmm. But currently, as it stands, um, we all know how long it takes for academic programs to be approved. And private sector who have the biggest demand for uh, big data capacity do not have time on their hands. So we've seen a lot of the capacitating happening in terms of, um, from an education standpoint, is actually sponsored and driven by private sector actors. Uh, so IBM, for instance, has supported a lot of, um, you know, uh, boot camps and they have the Digital Nations, yeah, uh, Africa, Digital Nation Africa program. Programs, yeah. uh, Google also has Google for Startups and, you know, other AI-powered programs to, you know, build capacity for new developers in that space. Uh, and universities, of course, are struggling or are participating in this, what we'd call more informal programs or short courses. Uh, but we do need to see a lot more um, very uh, direct targeted um, education programs um, that, you know, also go into the fundamentals of, of, of what is behind these AIs to support, you know, even the building of these technologies on the continent. Yeah, in ways that actually respond to our, our needs and our cultural exactly. quirks, whatever you might call them. Yeah. I th- you know, that 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 makes me wonder how many universities in Africa actually have a PhD program, mm-hmm. you know, at that level. I think uh, South African universities are really doing well. And um, so I do know University of Pretoria has a strong department, Stellenbosch. Um, UCT. UCT, um, I probably, probably, I don't know, know. (laughs) but uh, University of Nairobi also, so um, they do have an AI specific master's program. But um, again, here's where definitions matter because AI could be robotics uh, and big data looks beyond just, you know, um, that very futuristic um, application of technology to even just immediate um manipulation of massive data sets yeah so yeah. Uh, yeah there are quite a few and there are a few projects that are supporting that capacity development but i think more can be done mm. infrastructure what does that look like when we talk about you know building capacity at the infrastructure level mm-hmm. um you know I, I know at the national level the government of kenya for instance has a couple of data centers mm-hmm. somewhere probably more maybe that is a top secret who knows yeah um but what does that actually look like? Yeah, I mean, why we are even finding ourselves in the age of big data is because the uh, infrastructure to, you know, process and manipulate and store this data has become uh, much cheaper. But still, uh, when you think of who the big players in the space are, Amazon, you know, Microsoft Asia, Google Cloud Platforms, those are all um, Western or you know global north um, companies that mm-hmm. are providing this capacity to store data, but we are seeing a few um, you know local data sectors coming up, local cloud providers um, setting up instances that mm-hmm. you know make it easier for people in on the continent to actually process their data without having to send it back out. Um, to, to data centers, let's say in Ireland. Yeah. And this, of course, is helpful in two ways. One, it's you can process your data much faster. Yeah, because the latency is much, much, much smaller. Yeah, but also in case there's issues of domicile, like um, a country uh, insists that you have to store data locally, then this is where these um, data centers become important because mm-hmm. you can't keep on shipping like very sensitive data sets abroad. Yeah. So we have data sovereignty uh, issues now become an exactly. issue. Exactly. So um, we have Icolo. Um, I know Amazon is, has set up a data center in South Africa. Um, Microsoft set up a data center here in Kenya. So um, we are starting to see a lot more local capacity to store this data. But remember, that's not the only infrastructure that's required what for big data. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, on that, just on that side, you have to compute. Exactly. But uh, electricity, 
uh, I mean, these data centers need cooling. Um, you need the internet, you know, to support the transfer of data. And in as much as I think we are doing way better now than we did 10 years ago, um, a lot of the um, continent is still not covered by these basic infrastructures. And that might be a hindrance to, you know, accelerating uh, outcomes for development by using big data. No, we're finding we're finding energy access um, to be a very important enabler. It's cross-cutting in so many places from mm -hmm. food security you know, to education and health and clearly to innovation and entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. uh, without yeah. without, without um, guaranteed, predictable, stable supply of electricity, there's just only so much you can do. Exactly, and that's why, I mean, it's also one of the Africa Development Bank's high five priorities mm. um, that uh, there needs to be affordable access to energy if we're going to, um, I mean, uh, gain the development outcomes we would like, yeah. yeah. And then the last thing is, um, so this big data, um, we've talked ab about it being um, produced by this massive um, corporations as well as government but um, for for you to be able to comfortably say that you, everyone on the ground who is supposed to be um, you know impacted by this development um, the data has to be representative and AIs right now need a lot of localization in terms of local content locally produced data so I think that's one of the things that cannot be uh, unsaid uh, cannot be left unsaid mm -hmm. it's really how do we find quality local data sets to support um, to, to be used in these technologies so that um, the impacts are targeted and you know that we, we are not just generalizing uh, to uh, a continent of people but we are able to actually target our development outcomes to everyone and their you know specific needs yeah i mean africa isn't a country and it has to that has to hold true also <laughs> when it comes to you know big data being used in development yeah yeah exactly so yeah the enabling environment issue that always <laughs> becomes one of the quick <laughs> sticking points yeah. um you know you're coasting along really nicely until you find yourself stuck in the mud yeah uh, yeah you know data protection access to information you know um in fact, I, one of the things that we come up against is accessing foreign capital um, to conduct uh, local research. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's one of the areas I'm constantly coming up against. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, but what did you see about the, the, the especially the data protection side? Mm -hmm. um, in a few places, we know with the data protection legislation, um, how how big an issue. Mm -hmm. um, is this turning out to be? Mm -hmm. I was surprised that um, I think about 28 countries do have a data privacy regulation in place, um, it be it within the constitution, a law, or a policy that has been discussed. Um, this was something that um, research done by TI, I think. No, Privacy International, actually. Mm -hmm. And so... And these uh, are African countries. Yes, these are African countries. The same African countries <laughs> that are not signing the African Charter <laughs> or the, what is it, the Cyber Security and Data Protection, you know, treaty. Yeah. You know, I don't know why. It was surprising to find that quite a number of African countries are actually like thinking about this issue. But one thing, uh, upon uh, closer inspection, a lot of these data protection uh, policies are fashioned against the well-known GDPR uh, by the EU, which of course was built for EU-specific context. And so here African governments need to be a bit more creative need to be you know understand their citizens better and you know the issue of exploitation of uh, people from their data has to be addressed and so in crafting these policies i think there needs to be a lot more done to strengthen them and ensure that they do protect personal uh, i mean individual privacies just because when we talk about big data a lot of the most valuable data is actually very granular mm. and can identify an individual, an individual. so then um, to a place and, and, and to a, a space and a time mm -hmm. you know 
um, a specific place at a time. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, a, a, an emerging research question here is then how do we um, support our governments and other actors who want to, you know, um, support development in creating privacy-aware data sets that can be used in, you know, in in development yeah. or can be innovation, made open for, for innovation. Uh, the other thing is about consent seeking. So um, it, as as you start thinking about things such as satellite data, I mean, it's already. I mean, how many times have a, has a satellite swept over me? Um, how do I give consent for that? So mm -hmm. it might, uh, in some cases, it might be difficult to go to individuals and obtain informed consent. So one of our recommendations really is for um, African governments and other stakeholders in this big data space to think of governance uh, of big data, not from because you've received consent and that's why you'll use data in a specific way, but to have a privacy first um, governance mechanism in your policies even as you're collecting data that you may not necessarily have consent. So it's being creative in your gov data governance mechanisms. Um, that is something that we definitely recommend, especially as more and more um, projects um, around big data are set up. Yeah, finding that whole issue of informed consent uh, to probably to be one of the areas that African both private sector and non-profit institutions are going to struggle with. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, you're you're out there in the rural areas, um, rolling out or testing out some service. You want people to sign up on their phones. Um, on USSD, you know, you, you, rolling out a terms and service, informed consent, 18-page small print, you know, document might not might not work. Uh, so you have to you find a way of doing that on on SMS or USSD. In mm -hmm. a way that allows you to to get documented um, mm -hmm. consent. Yeah. Uh, forget the, the, the you know the and the extent to which it was informed <laughs> consent because now that's another problem. Yeah. You're trying to roll out this high tech service that does you know home flum flumps you know <laughs> <laughs> on water and sanitation. Yeah. Um, you know, and and, and the, the person who's going out into the field to try and recruit people has to get over the first hump of explaining you know that there's a satellite in space that takes pictures and. And now we want you oh, to allow a drone us right above you yes. mapping you yeah and now if you add yourself to the system by putting your phone number and your name and gender and i don't know whatever other detail that will now be able to tell you you know when to plant your maize um <laughs> it just seems like uh you know created a new hurdle uh to get over and you're trying to get people to uh, sign up to something and yeah. i think i think what is what we I foresee what we're going to see in Africa is a lot of shortcuts, mm -hmm. uh, especially in countries where there is a, there's a law in place and some mechanism that looks like an enforcement mechanism. Mm -hmm. uh, but outside of litigation and complaints, I, I have my doubts the extent to which it's mm -hmm. actually going to achieve the same thing GDPR has managed to achieve in, in, yeah. in the West. But then again, in the West, it was in, the, in Europe, that was a demand side driven Mm -hmm. initiative. I think what we're seeing in Africa is the, the data protection seemingly a whole lot more supply side, you know, yeah. top down. Mm -hmm. But the data protection laws may not be enough. And so what we are seeing is, for instance, one of um, these drone companies um, that has been, you know, mapping different citizens, they have adopted what is called a code of conduct. And they are very public about how they treat this data. So I think this is um, a very encouraging way of self-governance mm -hmm. beyond what maybe a data protection law might be able to, you know, uh, protect citizens from. Um, private companies should really consider, you know, these very public data governance mechanisms so that you can give them to account for how they're using our data. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we touched a bit earlier on the funding issue um, for big data um, applications to be sustainable and their impact to be felt over the long term. I think we need um, more ownership of these projects by local governments, especially because they are the implementers from uh, our ecosystem mapping. So beyond donor funding, beyond private-public partnerships, like how uh, how are we seeing investments mm -hmm. into big data projects 
in budgets um, in the long term, in the medium term. And um, so for for big data to thrive, mm. um, or rather big data applications to achieve those intended impacts, of course, there has to be sustained um, local funding for it. And then uh, one thing that creates a very, um, um, an, a very good environment for big data to have the impact that is required is if this data um, is representative. Mm. Uh, are, the question of who's in the data. Who's in the data yeah. that is being used for development. Are women and minority groups um, represented in this data? Um, is it gender disaggregated? Um, what People with disabilities, how, how is that reflected? And in a manner that is not necessarily to... Um, to castigate them or to you stigmatize, know, stigmatize them. them, but to actually ensure that they receive the necessary um, support they require, for instance, in social protection programs. And mm. as professionals who are using big data, um, do you have any implicit biases in how you yeah. view the analysis of this data? Because how an individual analyzes data of course, has an impact, or the interpretation of the results has an impact mm. on on how um, people will be affected later on. Pe- these people who uh, this big data is supposed to, you know, help. Yeah, so we, we bring the lens of how we see the world, you know, with us when we exactly. when we're building out these things, including the systems mm-hmm. that d- that generate the big data. Yeah, some of this bias is very systemic. It might not, uh, y- you might not be aware of it. So it's, um, here, my recommendation would be to have a peer review mechanism for these uh, big data projects. So not just like one, um, let's say one institution or one researcher or one scientist being the one who does the analysis mm-hmm. and then publishes results. Can we have a peer um, review mechanism um, that is also representative so that people with different worldviews ensure that um, your data, uh, th- that implicit or that systemic bias is not perpetuated and then offline injustices are now transferred. To online, online. and digital spaces. Exactly. Yeah. And so, Speaking of that peer review mechanism, then it seems that maybe not one person or one institution or one government will be able to, you know, um, achieve the intended impact when it comes to um, big data. And so there's a call for partnerships. I don't know, Mushiri, if you've heard of, you know, the term data communities and data collaboratives Mm -hmm. and what you think of these kinds of groupings of people. Um, around yeah. data, no, I think there are, uh, there are great ideas, especially when they are targeted, uh, focused. Uh, maybe maybe the word I'm looking at. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have a community that is a, a collaborative that you know is coming to a, an issue mm-hmm. um, or a theme, mm-hmm. you know, from an informed perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, so and I, I think that's what we're actually seeing around the world, right? Um, mm-hmm. The health data collaborative, mm-hmm. you know. Is tends to be a very health-focused thing, or the data collaborative is being done by the Global Partnership mm-hmm. for Sustainable Development Data in different countries. Mm-hmm. Um, they tend, you know, I th- I, my view is that the, the data collaboratives tend to work really well when you have a, a common goal, a common idea, a common theme mm-hmm. that people can rally around and bring the expertise to. Yeah. Uh, and that, that includes, for instance, if, you had a, well, if you're working within a collaborative setup and you have um, algorithms that you want to have, uh, you know, uh, validated. Mm-hmm. You know, then you then you actually have people who understand mm-hmm. um, how a bias could affect a healthcare outcome. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And and I mean, uh, it's also a way of accelerating the devel- um, the production of data because maybe the government can only conduct surveys every year annually or every five years but then we have um, the mobile network operators who can provide data that is a proxy for these kinds of national surveys so when they're together in a in a collaborative you know with the similar motivations and um, incentive to you know support development outcomes then you can actually accelerate um, the data produced and the data utilized um, in development 
and of course, uh, again, um, we might be very technical in how we view the data, but in a health collaborative, you need the doctors, you know, mm. you need domain expertise, and they might not necessarily be able to manipulate data themselves. You yeah. need um, legal experts who ensure that, you know, um, the necessary precautions are taken in how you treat this data. So I think um, for big data to have that expected impact, it, that revolution will not be driven by just one kind of actor. Yeah. It won't be the scientists by themselves, but by this collaborative of people with a mutual interest in, you know, accelerating the development of a continent. So for us, uh, we think that is one thing that, um, for instance, the Big Data for Development Network can support the form the fomenting of such partnerships mm. and the conversations, the research, the knowledge required by these partnerships to to accelerate their work. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I I think we're seeing a little bit of that right now, just seeing within the network uh, the different interesting pieces of work being done <laughs> by our partners and thinking about how those could work um, and help us solve specific problems on our side of the world. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's, there's definitely value in, especially a South-South, um, you know, kind of arrangement. Uh, and of course, triangular as well, you know, North-South-South. Mm -hmm. uh, North, South. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that that uh, that shows promise in terms of being able to do some technology transfer, transfer lessons, etc., etc. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, for me, you know, just, just listening to you tells me that, you know, we're not... Um, badly off, there are sources of big data on the continent. There are institutions working on this. There are academic programs. There are private sector actors. Mm -hmm. um, it's an ecosystem that is uh, beginning to come to life. Mm -hmm. um, and chances are this is going to continue not only growing, but it's also going to have a bigger impact and the various developmental challenges that we're trying to solve. Exactly, yeah. So I think uh, maybe we didn't have to write a whole report uh, we could have just written a sentence that yeah yeah, yeah there's big data in, the <laughs> in in africa big use for development and then it, it's yeah. i mean we've well, uh, of course outlined a few key studies yeah. uh, as inspiration for uh, future yeah. work but yes yeah, so there is activity there's work to be done there's a lot of um of course infrastructural mm. and legal um environment issues to be sorted yeah. out but uh, we're not doing too badly. We, yeah. we, are, we, are, we are off to a good start. Well, at least now we have a citable piece of uh, <laughs> publication that's out there. Can, someone can cite and say, you see, this is why we need new partnerships. This is why we need to fix our enabling environment problems. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And well, this is excellent. Yeah. So this conversation, of course, um, we have to discuss, you know, like um, why it's timely right now. Mm. Um, all of us around the world are going through the COVID-19 pandemic, has disrupted our way of lives, um, disrupted our health systems, disrupted economies, disrupted our social protection. And of course, um, everyone is looking to digital technologies, to data, to support um, mm -hmm. and to inform interventions. So, yeah. I mean, I, I thought it was a good time to, to showcase that um, yeah, uh, definitely big data is being applied here. Uh, development mm -hmm. may not be in the sense of like long-term... Uh, Socioeconomic issues. Exactly. But it could even be pandemic and epidemic response and recovery. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, you're seeing, you're seeing it with, te you know, the whole the three T's mm -hmm. of, of, of response. Mm -hmm. you know, uh, track, test, treat. Yeah. So that whole um, trace, trace, Test, that's becoming a tongue twister for me. Trace, test, and treat. <laughs> I feel like that. Put a T where it shouldn't be one. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that whole test, uh, trace, and, and treat um, really are places where we're beginning to see a lot of views of big data. Mm -hmm. um, interesting, some, some frightening uh, you know, applications mm -hmm. from facial recognition to uh, mobile phone records. Uh, places where you know you'd want to know whether the informed consent was 
was obtained. Um, yeah, and and here's where uh, we go back to all the things we've pointed out. Like, um, of course, we need the capacity to support these interventions right now, um, and the, these partnerships between private sector and government are we we can see them being very visible. Uh, private hospitals have to treat people the way um, public hospitals have to. Uh, but even on the big data front, uh, mobile network operators are supporting governments in the you know contact tracing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we are seeing researchers trying to understand like whether a different genetic makeup predisposes us to you know uh, more severe um, you know mm. presentations of COVID nineteen. Exactly. Or maybe mm. you know make, making some immune. Who knows? Yeah, so, um, but uh, one thing I want to point out is given that the pandemic is really stretching the existing infrastructure, here's an opportunity for um, African governments and our society to strengthen. Then, how can we use data in a very responsible way to target interventions to those who need them the most? Be it in supporting to address, you know, the rising cases of gender based violence or um, distribution of the necessary uh, relief funds and stimulus um, packages to businesses and individuals who've been heavily impacted uh, by the pandemic. So there are definitely um, very various ways um, that the government and private uh, actors can come together to support, um, to use big data to support a pandemic response and recovery. Yeah. We're living in interesting times. Really interesting times. Yeah. And hopefully this will, I mean, instead of us thinking that our work maybe might be realized in the next 10 years, probably uh, the world is shifting how it's no, thinking. This, this has definitely moved everything to now. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, a lot of what was sounding very futuristic and non-urgent mm-hmm. um, has now become extremely necessary in an emergency. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're talking about the ability of a government uh, to 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 estimate uh, with enough certainty, you know, where populations are most susceptible, and therefore how to put in the investment for such infrastructure, so mm-hmm. that when people begin to fall sick, you already had preempted that with some um, investments in infrastructure, whether it's ventilators mm-hmm. or ICU beds mm-hmm. or oxygen beds or just isolation wards and quarantine facilities mm-hmm. um, a lot of the data might already exist in terms of population you know censuses and things like that but then you have a health system that hasn't been very strong in terms of what kind of um, medical records and d- data interoperability um, and even thinking about your administrative systems at, at the health sector level for surveillance um, and human resource tracking it becomes clear that uh, you know what what we need right now we should have done you know five years ago mm-hmm. you know so this this has now made it so that whatever was we thought <laughs> or people mm-hmm. expected is very futuristic five seven ten years away uh, really you know realizing that we need it now mm-hmm. but again here's where civil society who you know, we had the question, yeah, the question marks, marks and the citizens. It's to ensure that even as um, these rapid response mechanisms are being put in place and all these um, data-driven interventions are, you know, being operationalized, that we are keeping our governments to account yeah. in how they are using these resources and to ensure, again, that issues of bias don't crop, crop up, issues of privacy, um, you know, um, misuse exactly you know, unethical applications yeah uh, let's not use the pandemic uh, response as as an excuse to misbehave with people's data that is true <laughs> yeah that is true yeah oh excellent i think that that does bring us to the end of uh, an amazing conversation um and I, ca- I couldn't think of a better closing line than that let's not use the pandemic as an excuse to misuse people's data um, as we as we you know transition uh, in terms of our work uh, from this you know very broad landscape study to more specific work that we've been doing over the year from early warning some work on early warning etc 
um, ethics and, and, and explainability and all the things around AI using public sector that worry us. Um, I think the pandemic is giving us, uh, you know, an, a context that uh, allows us to focus our work a little bit more um, and gives us an opportunity to have conversations that would not normally have been interesting enough for people to listen to. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you very much for taking out of your time. Very busy. Remember the intro? That, like <laughs> three different hats happy, that, happy that you wear. Uh, so thank you for, for taking the time out to, to do this. Uh, mm-hmm. And um, for anyone who's interested, this report uh, is up on the um, LDRI website. Uh, go to www.developlocal.org. You'll find it there. Um, drop us a line. If you want a hard copy and you're somewhere in Nairobi, give us a shout. We'll be glad to get you a proper hard copy um, while applying the requisite uh, social distancing uh, uh, protocols. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So thank, thank you for having me. Um, that was an interesting conversation. Yeah. No, thank you for, 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 for making it interesting and uh, we look forward to having more conversations in the coming days. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, to all of you out there, until the next episode. Bye. Bye.